Welcome to The Third One Sucks, where we rank every movie in a franchise from first to worst. I'm Dan Ellis. I'm Mark Bell. And remind me why I do this again? Rotten eggs and the safety of mankind? Oh, of course. Of course. Very well. What are we going to talk about today, Mark? Oh, man. We're starting the Hellboy franchise. Hellboy is a supernatural action thriller written and directed by Guillermo del Toro, distributed by Columbia Pictures, and based on the comics of the same name by Mike Mignola. Hellboy premiered on March 30th, 2004 at the Man Village Theater and stars Ron Perlman, John Hurt, Selma Blair, and Doug Jones, among others. I'm excited for this one, but before we get into it, what is our fan review? Well, Mark, our fan review today comes from Rotten Tomatoes Fan Reviews, and it's from Arker P. It's a choice. It says five stars. <laughs> Hellboy. More like Hot Boy. <laughs> is Hellboy? Like, I know it's not the beginning of this specific thing but it is, is it the beginning of the sort of modern iteration of monster fuckery i don't think so i think the origin of current day monster fuckery probably started with just all of the anthropomorphic bullshit we grew up with in our youth i think that's where <laughs> i think that i think that like sexy fox robin hood is like mm, yeah that's fair <laughs> patient zero for our particular generations like help look i'm not ron perlman's biggest fan in terms of attraction Sure. Um, it's just not my thing. But when Hellboy comes out at the end of this movie with the fucking ripped up shirt and shit, at the very, <laughs> very end of this movie, I'm not going to act like for a second it didn't do something for me. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's go ahead and get into the movie. Do you remember when you first saw Hellboy? Man, Hellboy. Uh, this would have been high school. This was, 2004 was like prime high school times for me. And I think I saw it like not in theaters because... My family is the family, and and imagine being like deep into evangelicalism as I was, and being like, "Hello, I would like to go see the demon movie. Can I go see the demon movie, mother?" Um, <laughs> so that wasn't happening. But uh, as soon as it like hit like cable and stuff, I watched it. So it probably would have been like two thousand five ish or late two thousand four, probably late two thousand four, okay. whenever I saw yep. it for the first time. What about you? Uh, I was in my junior year of college okay, okay. Uh, at a very conservative evangelical Christian school, <laughs> all but right. all of my friends were the like the weird outcast nerdy people, mm-hmm. and Hellboy was definitely an event. Okay, we okay. did not see it in theaters because we rarely, rarely went to movies in theaters because none of us had any money. Right. <laughs> but we definitely watched it when it was pirated on the school's internal sharing network, you know, four or five months later after it hit DVD. All right, man. It's time to talk about this really kind of early superhero movie. I mean, we're in yeah. the, like, the X-Men and what, like, still in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man sort of superhero era? Yeah, we are between Spider-Man's... Two and Spider's Man, I believe is the plural. <laughs> Two and three at this point. So, because we were seeing some success with X Men and Spider Man specifically, mm-hmm. Hellboy was riding that sort of early second wave of non Marvel and DC comic book movies that were suddenly hitting. Yeah. So, yeah. I, in my head, it fits with. 
Sin City. Okay, yeah. Which I think I came out that. right around that time. And then American Splendor, which is a very different kind of comic book movie, but is still like a... There was this little window of like, what are the popular non-Marvel DC graphic novels we can grab? Yeah, this definitely would have been in like Sin City era. The Blades, I feel like we should have brought up Blade earlier. Blade yeah. and Oh, 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 uh, V for Vendetta Spawn. is another one that's right v in that. V for Vendetta, yep, this is the same yep. time period. And as a, and this is something I'm curious to know from you as we get into the film here, mm-hmm. as a, like a comic book guy... I really came of age to comics in the 90s. Like that's that's very much when right, I started right. like and so and that kind of coincides with a lot of like you mentioned Spawn uh and some of the Frank Miller stuff and Mike Mignola. It kind of coincided with this weird rise of third-party comics publishers, right? Like in uh not mm-hmm. exactly indie publishers, but there was this big wave of like a, like a secondary comics market and hellboy yeah. was one of those uh neil gaiman sandman would have been in there there's a bunch of others that i'm forgetting but there was just this just like comics had its biggest boom in the 90s and it was a time when like image was big uh boom i guess boom exclamation point comics yeah. was somewhere not too long after that uh, but hellboy was definitely one of those flag bearers of like alt comics that yeah, this, like, this kind of I don't know how to describe like how would you how do you capture that that feel of comic we were having this like the 90s was just like how much edge can we put on how many yeah, can we give these characters was. how much like <laughs> leather can we put them in just we had the 90s were not in my opinion a good time for comic books just in general <laughs> they I don't really think they started to get good again until the early to mid 2000s and then like the 90s are home to my personal least favorite marvel arcs for sure yeah 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 for sure i was not a big hellboy guy i didn't dislike hellboy i just i had very limited funds and digital comics weren't really a thing so like i would flip through hellboy in the in the comic book store when i was picking up my other subscriptions and every now and then like i'd stumble across you know uh whatever a trade paperback or something so I, i like i remember generically enjoying hellboy but but i definitely didn't know a ton about him rolling into this movie i think i'm primed to really love hellboy comics i have not sat down and read a hellboy comic proper Mm -hmm. uh, which is my great shame uh as a person who i feel like would really dig a lot of this stuff yeah yeah for re-watching these hellboy movies i'm like oh this is yeah like i like i get it this is this has a very particular tone that few other things quite do particularly Guillermo del Toro's interpretations where yeah. I'm watching this movie and I'm going this is why Umbrella Academy works so well for me uh, this is <laughs> probably where Gerard Wade got a lot of his inspiration like for this like specific tone sure. he nails in those as well <laughs> that's an interesting I think note as we get into this discussion is that while we are both definitely comic book guys mm-hmm. Hellboy is not either of our areas of expertise so yeah he was just never quite my guy. I was like, I was deep in evangelicalism at the time. I sure. saw that Exorcism <laughs> of Emily Rose movie, and uh, it kept me up for like <laughs> nights at this point in time. Yep, yep. Um, it was right around this time, right? It was like a year after this that, or something. That feels right. Yeah, <laughs> it was real close. Yeah, he's just never my guy. Unfortunately, there was this like the alternative culture of the late nineties and the early two thousands. In my opinion, for the most part, sucked um, is the thing (laughs) is because 
people were reading Hellboy and I would otherwise listen to them, but it was the same people who were like, not just into the Matrix, but way too into the Matrix. Right, right. <laughs> and, and we're like, like Limp Biscuit or like Lincoln Park fans. And I'm, I'm going to make somebody mad. Somebody's going to hear their favorite thing here. And I'm going to be like, sorry, it's too edge for me. It's too much. It is what I often consider. And I say this with love community. I am, I am part, I am deeply part of the nerd community. It is what I consider the nerds in trench coats era. Yeah. <laughs> for sure corn corn was a big deal at this time it's it's that kind of thing um yep. just so much edge <laughs> it's so much edge it's so much just like yeah bl- blood and violence for the sake of blood and violence <laughs> right <laughs> yep we really fucking love it mom take me <laughs> to buy a trench coat uh, yeah it was it was the start of like the hot topification of culture. Sure, where, sure. Yeah, you, you know, do you know the meme was like, "Where was the original plot of the movie?" That's like that's right, kind of like right, I feel yeah. like what happened. <laughs> and in listen, this I'm not going to pretend like I didn't own a trench coat at some point when I was I don't know between oh, yeah. the ages of sixteen and twenty. I certainly <laughs> absolutely, did. absolutely right. <laughs> I definitely owned one that I got from like a consignment shop or some shit, or yep. probably from like an old youth pastor. To tell you, to be completely honest, to like uncool that whole. I know uh, exactly where I got mine. And that is uh, when I went to freshman orientation for college. One mm -hmm. of the things they told us is like our college is, you know, in northern Pennsylvania and sort of situated just under Lake Erie. So the winters get very, very cold. And my mom was like, Mm -hmm. because she's a mom, like, oh, we need to get you a good winter coat. Because, you know, I wore a jacket because I was a teenage boy. No matter how cold it got, I wore a jacket. And my mom was like, oh, we need to get you a good winter coat. And I was like, ah, I smell an opportunity for a trench coat here. Uh, yes. <laughs> you pushed up your Morpheus glasses and said, this is, this sure is did. This is my moment. <laughs> this is the closest uh, little white boy in Ohio is going to get to being cool. Oh, oh, man. Let's get into this movie. We should. <laughs> we start with some uh, like overhead narration regarding the nature of humanity sure <laughs> <laughs> like you do right on brand for this time period <laughs> absolutely it is what makes a man a man there's only two responses i have whenever i hear these sorts of moments in movies and the first is um is that the power in his hand no it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> which is i feel like a little bit of a niche reference nowadays <laughs> i love it so much <laughs> Especially coming from me, who notably does not like them boys who did that movie. <laughs> um, or the Dracula, the classic Dracula of a miserable little pile of secrets? Question Yes. <laughs> but it is like that question, corny though it is, is mm-hmm. sort of central to the Hellboy theme, right? Like that's kind of part of the journey of the Hellboy comics and everything is Hellboy is, you know, a, whatever, a demon born to darkness, et cetera, et cetera. And also sure. just an alien and other. He's he's a non-human. And so like a big part of the like the light philosophical question of Hellboy as a comic is a very sort of traditional like frankensteinian fantasy question right like what makes a man this narration is very very heavy-handed but you know (laughs) it's getting the job done and it's being delivered by john hurt so that's okay yeah you could have look there are worse people you could have to read this (laughs) for sure and then we join uh rasputin along with a cadre of hitler's top men 
in Scotland, where they are opening a dimensional right. portal to summon the seven gods of chaos. Mark, <laughs> when, when it was 2004 and I was just inundated with propaganda my entire life, I had sure. no qualms with this. Now, in the year of our Lord, 2022, it immediately kicks off. I'm like, why is Rasputin working with Hitler? I'm like, what? This doesn't make any goddamn sense. <laughs> Because they both are like occultic, is that? I think is that, that I think that thing? is the only bridge here. That's the like, only bridge, and and both of these ideas, like Rasputin and Hitler's occult, like those are both big themes. Because that's what Hellboy Hellboy plays exactly in that universe, right? Like with a lot right. of Christian and specifically Catholic Catholic phraseology and iconography, and a lot of occultism and things. Yeah, but, yeah. But, like, why, but why are they working together? These could be two separate <laughs> villains. I will say, because I think Rasputin is a, uh, like a, one of the big villains from the Hellboy comics and is like part of his arc was Seeds of Destruction, which is like the, the story that this movie was kind of drawn from. This is one of the least charismatic cinematic portrayals of Rasputin I've seen and maybe that's colored because I have recently watched uh the King's Man oh, I don't we're gonna know. talk about the Kingsman's yeah I but this Rasputin oh, is just so he boring was, this Rasputin sucks compared to the King's Man's <laughs> Rasputin I cannot wait to cover those movies on this podcast Mark and he's so overshadowed by Cronin who is I think technically yeah. like his minion who is like who I never Cronin remember in the, the in name the, of. <laughs> in the book is like a, like a scientist who wears that suit because he's like deeply OCD and, and has like a, a real fear of like bacteria and things like that. Okay. Uh, and in this movie, he's remade into an assassin, but that's fine because it's very cool. Way cooler than anything Rasputin's doing. Cronin is significantly cooler in this movie. Yeah, Rasputin's supposed to be the big bad and I just don't care about him whatsoever in this movie. <laughs> So, okay, so we meet kind of the team, right? There's, mm -hmm. of note, there is Rasputin, Cronin, who who we are told is Hitler's top assassin, sure. and Halpstein, who is the, like, German blonde. And that's, like, the big three of the baddies for this movie. And they're putting together this dimensional portal, etc. And there's, like, a little team of allies that are kind of, like, proto-BPRD, Professor Broom, and some like allied soldiers and they're sort of the like the audience proxy here they're they're giving us the ex like they're sitting nearby whispering you know like oh no if that if that door stays open the evil gods will get through or whatever like they're, they're giving us some of the info and then they just basically shut it down with grenades it's kind of like it's a fun fight scene or whatever but it is kind of anticlimactic that like Rasputin and this crazy occult army is just completely thrown off guard by a few grenades and bullets that look that's this whole movie mark For, yeah true like, it's full circle is the grenades are overpowered is what we're learning whenever you're fighting <laughs> demons apparently like you can just grenade them and it's fine maybe they were all like dipped in holy water or something sure whatever <laughs> Uh, and that kind of that sets the stage for the beginning of the movie. We see Professor Broom, whose full name is, I think, Brutenholm, uh, but he goes by Professor Broom. And we see them discover like very young baby Hellboy. Yes, the CGI on young baby Hellboy 
looks ridiculous Martin. there's a couple of pla- like throughout this movie there are times where i think like oh man the cj is holding up cgi is holding up really well and then there are other times where uh oh no <laughs> just oh, no. uh and we'll get to it but when when right. liz turns into a bed of blue fire oh no <laughs> sure <laughs> all right then we hard cut to present day uh, which is to say the early 2000s in Moldavia, where Rasputin is being resurrected in what sort of amounts to a Lazarus pit. I know it's not that, because that's a DC thing. But it's one of the coolest set pieces of this entire fucking movie, for sure. It's so cool. I really love the visuals here. And a lot yeah. of the practical stuff, I think, like the Hellboy costume mm-hmm. itself, holds up very well. Yeah, yeah, of course, because it's our boy Guillermo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's what he's good at. <laughs> I mean, he's also good at storytelling, but he's very good at like weird costumes and unsettling visual imagery. Yeah, his whole his whole team just knocks it out of the park when they get to do cool practical shit. Yes, and we just see like Rasputin rising from a pool of blood. And then we hard cut to learn that Professor Broom is dying. He's got you know weeks left. I, this is the point where I need to ask you, Mark. Did you watch the director's cut of this movie? And did you know there was a director's cut of this movie? I don't believe I watched it. I'm vaguely aware of the fact that it exists, but I just pulled up HBO Max and watched what was there. Okay, here's the fascinating thing, Mark. I also watched this on HBO Max, even though I own the DVD. And I've come to find out not only is the director's cut existent and separate from the cut that we watched, but in the extra section... Of the the theatrical cut is the director's right. cut, and it does not indicate that it's the director's cut. It just also says Hellboy 2004, and it's 10 minutes huh. longer. Okay. okay. So, listener, if you haven't watched Hellboy, <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely watch the, the director's cut of this, um, because it does have, like, just a little more um nuance to help with some of the like ongoing plot stuff like okay okay it it flags for you much earlier on that like something is up with Rasputin and he's got an alien baby in him or whatever right (laughs) instead of sort of having to shove that information at the end like oh every time he comes back a piece of his god is inside of him i guess i ask you here because this is the point where the the blonde lady what has the eternal life now and except for whenever she dies at the end of this movie whatever she she says there's something wrong with your eyes and in the director's cut they show us explicitly that he's using glass eyes throughout this movie yes that's right yeah okay which i just don't think is present in the regular cut at all (laughs) all right so continue so professor broom is is dying he's got you know weeks left or whatever I can't remember if that's true to the Seeds of Destruction comic or not. I just don't remember enough of it. I will say I get it, but it feels a bit like a cheat to lessen the impact of his death a little bit later in the film. What feels like a cheat? Just him coming back or? No, like planting the fact that like, oh, he's going to die in like six weeks anyway. So, you know, like maybe he died a few weeks early, whatever. Right. It feels like it lessens the the visceral impact of that death. Yeah, it just it feel I don't know. It's I think it. Yeah, I I don't love it. I don't know that it need, had a narrative purpose at all. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of feels like it has no purpose. It's now time to meet FBI man John Myers. Yeah, who technically exists in this movie. 
He's here. He's doing something. Does not exist in the comics and will get written out for the second film. He's doing his best. I I don't know. Feels like it feels like they thought we need an audience surrogate. I think this is yeah, still yeah. in the time period where like we can't people can't imprint themselves onto the superhero. Uh, right. It's a weird <laughs> d- devil man cry baby. But <laughs> now I want to see that. Now I want to see that meme of just the cover of Hellboy's box art, but it says devil man cry baby on top. <laughs> Yeah, Myers is here. I think they just wanted an audience surrogate. He's a quote-unquote nice guy, Mark. Yeah. So people can a, print themselves on top of. In the books, there's a character named Kate. I can't remember much more about her, but like her whole job is to be like the like the agent who is the liaison to like to the to the what do they call it? Enhanced Enhanced Talents Task Force or something like that. I'm sorry, I know I'm sure. really stretching what? the edges of my but like there is a character named Dr. Kate in the books who does that okay. thing so I, i'm not sure why we invented john like here. a competent lady with a doctorate over this man any day right, that'd yeah. be very nice can she he just movie? shows up and he's like hey i'm uh transferred from quantico fbi words ha <laughs> i'm 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 a white man that's how i got yep. this job let's <laughs> yep. be honest <laughs> but it does let us then like meet hellboy and abe sapien two incredibly good physical performances like they're both great performances all around but like both of these characters require a very specific sort of weird physicality Uh, ron perlman's great as hellboy and listen i mean doug jones is just like he's doug jones Mm -hmm. he's very like there are few people as good at like being weird and alien as doug jones that's it that's his whole thing like we just we know (laughs) like if you need to have a weird humanoid monster man you look you look for doug jones and then you hope he's available that's it that's there's no one else on that list in hollywood but this is just kind of us as the audience like you said they kind of needed to give us a human surrogate and this is us sort of getting a look at the bprd we meet abe and watch him eating his weird eggs we meet hellboy just like lift and wait we got we had the nerdy one and the jock one it's interesting because this is at this point in time a i think like a 50 year old ron perlman in this role is he already 50 in 2004 i mean he's, I, he's in his early 70s yeah? now yeah oh wow yeah that th- i'm more impressed with him now in retrospect <laughs> <laughs> and sort of like as we meet the team there's a, a red alert and they're mm-hmm. called off to the local museum i didn't write down the name of it to a museum <laughs> sure where the russian nazis have broken in and awakened an ancient evil where the nazis and rasputin for reasons unknown uh, (laughs) well again that's that's a weird hellboy thing like rasputin's just a boss and like he works with a lot of nazi scientists why who knows (laughs) i'm gonna be a little upset every time i hear it not that i'm like a rasputin (laughs) apologist i just don't know why he's working with the nazis it's very confusing (laughs) And they and they so they have busted into the museum to awaken Samael, which in this universe is just like an angry dog demon and not like the Talmudic archangel or whatever. Right, right. But again, Hellboy does a lot of just like grabbing, which I appreciate a lot, grabbing like generic Christian phraseology and iconography and sort of stapling it on. 
Yeah, I don't. Look, Not I'm, dissimilar to how Ava does in places. Right. Yeah, I'm. I'm a big fan of that shit. I sometimes I struggle with it. I don't know how much of it ends up just borrowing from like Judaism rather than sure. Christianity, and that's where I. That's where I start to get uncomfortable. I start thinking about that too much. Um, yeah, but yep. like it is a thing that really works for me for whatever it's worth. <laughs> Well, a lot of ways it is, at least the Christian piece of it, is our sort of religious cultural heritage. Like, we grew up in that stuff. So, it it hits, like, beats in our brain that, like, when we were very, very young, these concepts were were embedded in there. (laughs) And, I mean, like, I think it's fair to call it pulling from Christian doctrine more so because Christianity, it, it knows how to do anything well. It's take something from Judaism and distort it and oh, make yeah. it something that it totally isn't like this hellhound is <laughs> Christianity is very good at both religious and cultural appropriation turns out yes <laughs> it just goes everywhere it's like what do you got here what's your religious things here great let's take some of that flatten it out shove it into our thing and then beat you until you accept our changes oh wow that's a, that's a neat cool thing that you've, you've come up with <laughs> hey what if we just took that and we used it as an excuse to like do undo harm to minorities. Can we, right, right. <laughs> or we did that real quick. <laughs> so this is our first like big fighty fight. I guess we had like the military mm-hmm. fight in the beginning. This is our first supernatural fight of the movie. Right. And you, you can sense right. the places where Hellboy is a practical costuming effect and Samuel is a work of cgi yeah sometimes there was a physical suit yes yeah you can sense the places where the cgi bend happens i think but that's mm-hmm. okay it's like this is that sticky era like sort of just post lord of the rings films where cgi was getting good but definitely still had some soft spots like unless you have like peter jackson money um right <laughs> it, it it was looking a little lacking here again this is like around the time uh like right after those two matrix sequels came out and we're just trying to we're we are living beyond our means basically (laughs) in terms of cgi what i find is a lot of it is okay until it's interacting with real things like you particularly notice when like baby hellboy jumps onto an actual human or when Mm -hmm. costumed hellboy punches a cgi thing or for instance crushes a red bull can Sure. I think I think baby Hellboy looks bad all the time in this movie. Every that, time that's I see absolutely him, I'm like, fair. This is a weird this is a it gives me dancing baby vibes, Mark, where it's <laughs> <laughs> like something Hellboy baby. Something I'd I would pay to see that. I'd buy that for a dollar. Uh, for sure. It's got those vibes to me where it's like it's just weird and off and isn't moving the way anything that that like size and shape should do it has a little bit of like have you ever seen renaissance paintings of babies from people who've never seen babies before yeah where it's just it's, like tiny humans kind of yeah it it feels a little distressing bit like proportions sometimes. yeah yeah <laughs> i i don't love it <laughs> so this is a, like the fight roams through the museum. It drops down into a subway at some point. It's just like it's a big old five to ten minute fight scene. And it's fun. Like it's it's good action. The CGI is lacking in places. But, you know, Hellboy's flexing a bit. And we're seeing the sense that like the 
the younger Hellboy struggle of staying in control, right? That he's still like, well, I got the job done. Why does it matter if I was seen by a thousand people and wrecked half a town or whatever? Right, right. Uh, so that, which is, I think, is definitely part of like that seed of destruction kind of era. <laughs> I'm not sure that Ron Perlman plays that part off quite as well as most of the rest of Hellboy. And, and maybe okay. it's just because he's 50, so he's a little bit further from like you know, cantankerous, you can't tell me what to do, 20-year-old, I don't know. He reads less like an impetuant teen to me. And yeah. He, and more like like just this like disgruntled biker who's just like upset was, with the, the wife took the kids. just say like weird lone wolf motorcycle guy. <laughs> yeah, he's got that vibe too, which in my brain is just like how I've always read the character so it doesn't seem out of doesn't seem weird to me um but now that you put it into perspective like yeah i guess that's not really what they were going for huh right and it works because ron perlman sells that vibe very well so you know it reads okay i would say where that starts to come into clash then is when we get the pouting over a girl bit wow okay Sure, and and sure. I think like the weird tension there of like, I'm, I'm a, I'm a monster. No one's ever loved me, but like, I'm a, you know, a young buck, 20 year old guy, like first love, whatever. Again, because Hellboy reads a little older to me in this movie, little, a little, little weird. It works, sure. but it's, it's just a little weird. We'll get there in a minute. I have different complaints about that story. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm, I'm excited to talk about that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of finish up this subway fight. Hellboy beats Samuel, but he's not gone. He's going to be back. And this is where, for me, I get the first mention of Rasputin in his eyes. Because someone's just like, hey, boss, we got you some eyes out of nowhere. Yeah, I guess that happened. Um, Mark, I'm going to tell you right up top. This movie did not pass the am I going to look at my phone test. Um, (laughs) I I definitely had my phone out whenever I felt the movie lagging. I was like, okay, my ADHD needs something to stimulate me. So Hellboy, because he's out in the world and most of the time he's supposed to stay like in BPRD headquarters, because at the time of this movie, the BPRD is still like officially denied by the U.S. government. Hellboy technically doesn't exist, even though like he's been seen often enough that there are comic books about him, whatever. (laughs) Uh, But because he's out, he takes the opportunity to go visit Liz at a uh, psychiatric care facility this is this is tricky and i'm not going to necessarily blame hellboy for it because Mm. like there is definitely room for stories about mental illness in comic books absolutely Mm -hmm. Uh, and there is also a an uncomfortable history with using mental illness as a shortcut storytelling device within comic books sure like all of that baggage on both sides is present it is part of Liz's like comic book story that she's kind of always leaving the BPRD and coming back. Like the notion that she's quit a dozen times is definitely like Hellboy canon. All of that for sure works for me. What I found on this second watch or fifth or however many times I've seen this film, I don't know. It's been a while. (laughs) What I found on this watch, aside from my issue with the, with the love story itself, which I promise I'll get to Mm-hmm. I don't actually like Selma Blair as Liz. I, 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 I don't like the performance. I don't. Her performance in this movie isn't her best necessarily, but Selma yeah. Blair's there. And like, I am Mark. I'm, I'm easy. Selma Blair's there. <laughs> sure. And I'm just happy Selma Blair's there. <laughs> 
this particular version of Liz, and again, I'm no comics expert, really, really diminishes the character to me. Because mm. uh, Liz is like that whole question of, you know, can I control my powers? And like, I don't know if I belong here. And, you know, and, and the mental health stuff, all of that is consistent, at least to my experience with the comics and like her or her being prone to isolation and all of that Uh, but she's also got this really like fiery intense like willpower this like you know she's cheap like pyrotechnics is is her thing or whatever Mm -hmm. and like her maybe stereotypically her personality kind of has that like burning edge to it and Mm -hmm. This version of Liz is just so like weirdly demure and subdued and like not taking control of anything, which, you know, again, tracks with arcs within the comic, at least. I just I don't love it. It's and that's not someone Blair's fault. She's given a great performance for weird off brand Aubrey Plaza, Liz. But that's that's not what I want from Liz, I guess. I feel like Aubrey Plaza is, is off brand Selma Blair, but that, okay, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, normally that would be the case. This particular take on Liz feels to me like a thing that Aubrey Plaza would be in. Uh, and again, it's like I like it. It's fine. It's just <clears throat> for the fact that she's the one female in the movie, especially. It's kind of a bummer that they really. Really took away a lot of her agency. (laughs) I just don't think they give her much. Like, I don't think she's much of a character at all in this movie is the thing. And I don't think it's Selma Blair's fault. I think it's just that, like, she's not a character in this movie. She's just kind of like this thing that Hellboy wants. It's Hellboy's toy and Hellboy misses his toy. And now this white boy's playing with his toy. And then at the very end, he gets the toy. That's how much... It feels like that in this movie, and I don't love it. absolutely there to be a thing on which men act and react. She is not there to be a character unto herself, and that sucks. And also, it just kind of sucks because that's not a thing. Like, like Liz... Liz and Hellboy grew up together as kids in the BPRD. Hellboy was was there first. Like, Liz came in when she was, I don't remember, like 10 or 12 or something, as this, like cyclops-esque kid who couldn't control her powers and needed help to stop killing her family and Mm -hmm. throughout the arc of hellboy there is not even is there never a sniff of like romance between them hellboy is very much like her loving older brother like that's the role that he plays he's like he was there when she came in and he helped her kind of sort out what it means to be an outsider and how to deal with the fact that people don't trust you. And, and they have this very, very cool, just like platonic friendship vibe, maybe a sibling vibe. And it really sucks that a piece of media that had two very cool characters who did not like, there was never a sense of, and then they kiss and the movie is like, no, no. And then they kiss. Here's the weird thing about this movie, Mark, and I think a lot of these things get fixed in the sequel. I'm of the opinion mm-hmm. that that sequel is a better movie, um, which maybe is contentious for some people, but I think it's obvious. <laughs> but there are times where it doesn't feel like we know what their relationship is. But yeah, I don't feel romantic chemistry in this movie. It's very weird between right? these characters. And like, even though they're trying to change it from something like, yeah, there's definitely a history there, but it never feels like, I don't know, like it doesn't, it does nothing for me as a romance plot. It feels 
about as bad as Bombay and Charlie's mom in the Mighty Ducks movies. Where <laughs> that just like, is a no, very good parallel. There's yes. no chemistry here between these characters. Both good actors like to- doing a good job with, with the roles, but yeah. Which is weird because I think they do have more chemistry in a second movie, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. Maybe yep. well, maybe in like a couple weeks we'll come back and we'll have to eat crow <laughs> about that. Well, but, yeah, we'll we'll see because in my memory, the second and that's why I laid out my complaints about Liz now, because in my memory, the second movie delivers on that character much better. I hope yeah. that's true. It's been a while. Yeah, I feel like her and, <laughs> and Abe are both just more well-rounded characters in that second movie. So Liz tells Hellboy like, hey, I'm, I'm gaining control. Like I've, I've figured out some techniques. I'm I'm, you know recentering myself and i'm sort of getting control over my power and this like it's useful for me to be here and is specifically useful for me to not have you looming over me all the time asking me how i'm doing so just like please give me some time bud we go back to the bprd abe i I guess we skipped the whole bit because abe abe also went on the museum adventure and like while hellboy is out visiting liz abe is using his powers to kind of reconstruct the uh, the events. So we kind of already talked about that. So I don't, I don't know that we need to hit a lot of the beats again, but that is what Abe is up to. And we're getting at least a little bit of a look into Abe's power set. Yeah. I love the visuals here. Like they did a neat job with his like away uniform, I guess, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. I really like Abe. I don't think he gets to do a ton in this film, but I really like the portrayal. Right. Yeah, I like when he's here. I don't. He doesn't necessarily do a whole lot, but I do like when he's here. It just quickly shows us the flashback, and then he's like, "Oh, you are sick, old man. Don't tell yep, the boy." Yep. <laughs> oh, okay. I won't for some reason. So okay, so when Hellboy leaves the psychiatric facility, uh-huh. Rasputin shows up, just chilling. You know, Rasputin. Yeah, you know, doing what his doing. own dirty work. Hanging out with people that his country were fighting against at the time. <laughs> right. Just like whispers into her dreams yeah. and destabilizes her. So all of this work that she's been doing to sort of get in control of her emotions, to get in control of her fear and thus be in control of her power is sort of undone by this exceptionally vivid and awful nightmare. And she just kind of human torch style flame on lights on fire. Mark, tell me about it. Tell me about how you feel about this. <laughs> the visual's real bad to begin with. It's like this is one of the worst CGI scenes. And again, I don't mm-hmm. love it because while it was at least somewhat consistent with Liz, like again, her her story arc is a lot of that, like very Cyclops-esque in terms of like, or Chamber, in terms of learning how to manage her powers to not hurt the people around her and like blaming herself and dealing with fear and shame and otherness. And like all of that's on beat. There's a, there's this whole like Catholic sub arc that the movie doesn't give us because Catholicism is rife in Hellboy, where like mm-hmm. there's a good like young Liz definitely thought that this was like a punishment for like the sure. sins of a child, which is definitely a story arc that's, Speaks to me, young Mark, who constantly mm-hmm. thought everything bad that happened was certainly punishment yep. for some uncontrolled sin of mine. Definitely your fault. 100%. Look, if you so, had your walk right with Jesus, you would feel better. Right. Just right. Your, if something's wrong, it's your fault. You did it. So, like, it all tracks. 
but because of the way Liz is throughout the rest of this movie, it ends up feeling like another beat of like, oh, the one woman in this movie is just, again, a tool of a man to advance the story. And that kind of sucks. Yeah, she... She really She's does not get treated well. well in this movie. Like Selma is given it, and and I would say the physicality of her kind of immediately thereafter is really good. Like she's given a good performance. It's just I, I don't like, I just don't I don't know. It's a good story <laughs> beat that would work in a story where Liz had agency elsewhere, but you in a story where all Liz though. does is like exist for men to do things. Yeah, it feels like that again. Yeah, like if we replaced Liz with a car that randomly blew up sometimes <laughs> right. in this movie, like if it was just Lightning McQueen and he just blew up sometimes, uh, there would not be much different of a movie. Yeah, which sucks because she's one of the most dynamic and interesting and like maybe outside of Hellboy and Abe, like the longest tenured character in the comics for sure. Sure. Oh, but yeah, she's just here to like blow up and cause drama i guess i don't know <laughs> them women mark because that's what <laughs> right. them women do right it, it, <laughs> that's how women, this whole fucking movie feels women be shopping and turning <laughs> into fireballs um it's very much that it's just like oh women are emotional and that's why it doesn't matter that she like tells him <laughs> right? never see me again and then the next time she sees him she's like it's actually nice to oh, see you so good to see because you. yep because it's just like a trope of like women don't know what they want. They say one thing and mean the other. It's real bad all the way down, yeah. guys. It's, yeah. It's not and again, good in a in different. Movie. And maybe maybe I should have put together and I can fix this. I don't feel like enough of an authority on Hellboy to do it. But in a right. different version of this story, that's an OK story beat for Liz because it fits in with a lot of her kind of personal arc. Mm. But I think within the broader way the characters portrayed, it just doesn't work. Well, because we don't know anything about her. She just shows up no. and does something and, and like it's, and, and it's like she's so emotional. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I hate it. Back at uh BPRD, young John Guantanamo or whatever his name is. Guantanamo. Is, <laughs> is like suddenly brooms apprentice or something brooms like listen bud i'm dying i need somebody else to like manage the kids i need you here you'll definitely be in the sequel right which is i would argue kind of as with everything with john guantanamo kind of an underbaked plot in this particular movie it's it's nothing it's it's very weird I need someone pure of heart. I'm not pure of heart. Yes, you are, said the fish man. <laughs> what is this? What is happening, movie? What does pure of heart even mean? We don't need this. The audience aggressively <laughs> wants him to leave. <laughs> so, so this is all just kind of set up to get us back to the sewers. Because what happens is Hellboy right. comes back. He's, he's bleeding or whatever. And Abe gives him an examination and finds some monster eggs implanted in his arm yeah which sure. is some of that good guillermo del toro kind of body horror stuff mm -hmm. and is in keeping with the like i would say like supernatural horror tones of hellboy as a book sure and oh professor broom says well if this thing can lay eggs we definitely need to make sure that any eggs are destroyed so back to the sewer with all of y'all and just go like easter egg hunting 
Yeah, I guess. It's... I don't think we needed this... It, it feels like a weird set piece in this movie. I don't know. I feel like we could have cut so much out between the museum and when they get on a fucking plane to head across the ocean later. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. And maybe use that time to develop the story of Liz. Of Liz? Maybe. <laughs> maybe a little bit. There's our, one of your three main characters. <laughs> but yeah, they go back to the sewers. We just get like a, a kind of a reprise in some ways of the previous fight. Hellboy's fighting two Samuels. A little bit of Abe here. Like that's the only yeah. real, that's the only good that comes of this section. We get to see like Abe actually out in the field, like swimming around, right. doing some investigating, comically losing the finger bone charm that is pr- protecting him. Right. He's, he lost the thing, the, the whatever <laughs> it is, the Catholic thing. And then, now they want to eat him aggressively. <laughs> they can touch him now. Oh no, running fish man. It's, I don't know, it's a lot. Clay dies here. Clay, uh, Clay who is in and the we're film. supposed to care. And I, yeah, like, I oh no, care. not Clay, the aggressive energy white man. <laughs> Not the man that we immediately are trying to replace with this other white man we don't like. <laughs> right. Who cares? <laughs> It doesn't even feel like it really matters to Hellboy's story, ultimately, either. Like, he's hurt for, like, two seconds, and then yeah, he goes back to being fine. like, this white boy's <laughs> moving in on my my lady attitude. Yeah, it does just feel like a like an extra fighty set piece that maybe could have been... Like, it's, it's fine, it's fun. We get to see a little bit more of uh, Cronin here, who pretends like... He's the guy, he killed Clay, uh, Hitler's top right. assassin, or whatever. Yeah, here's the thing. A lot of these beats that we just complained about work better if clay dies at the museum we get a distraught fucking hellboy after his big fight and then he goes and then he like fucks up with the girl by like not giving her the space that he needs yeah that works yeah. better for them we feel sympathetic more towards liz because like come on dude <laughs> um yeah and, and like even johnny white boy who we don't like his like i don't want to do this anymore makes more sense coming after something like man that, that would be so much better yeah that all fits i like this the person you're supposed we're doing we're backdooring and I can fix this in the middle of this podcast. <laughs> it's Kill fine. Clay early. Make him yep, a little more sympathetic when we first see him. Give him some time to just hang out with fucking Hellboy and then like kill him at the museum. And then yep. suddenly everybody else's arc is better for it if we just kill yeah. this guy earlier and not in the middle of a retread. Man, that is so much better. Like that that small change definitely it fixes some of the weird and ambiguous motivations of Hellboy going to see Liz. Yeah, that all works for me. <laughs> yeah, you heard I guess we should know. I'm better than Guillermo del Toro with this, <laughs> and you should hire me to do this. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love Guillermo del Toro. I guess we should note that Cronin like fakes his own death here so that he can yeah. be dragged back to, to BPRD I guess. Uh, dissection lab or whatever. It- does he need to is the thing that gets me is that like Cronin seems pretty fucking unkillable and he's gone through how many people with guns by this point in the movie like what would it really be a problem for him to get in there and kill who he wanted to kill would he really have problems with that right Right. yeah it's it's a it's a strange move Uh, but it does let us see that his blood is sand which is pretty cool sure sure like that's a very that's a very dumb kind of the hellboy-esque beat that i really like i don't know like his body is so old and whatever that his blood is sand cool i don't think that's how that works but okay (laughs) (laughs) when we get back uh 
the boss of the FBI or whatever. Okay. Is here. Thank you, thank you for explaining that. Cause in her notes it just says FBI guy is grumpy. And I did not know for the life of me what that was about. <laughs> and now it doesn't make sense. You mean Jeffrey Tambor's character? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so Jeffrey Tambor is, ah, uh, nuts. The Tom Manning, Jeffrey Tambor is Tom Manning. Manning. Okay. Who is, I think in this movie, the FBI director? And Eli Manning's older brother. <laughs> right. Eli Manning's older brother. You one can of trust the... me. I'm a noted sportsman. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I think, right? Isn't he the FBI director in this film? What the fuck he's doing? Honestly? He is the director of the BPRD for at least a while in the books. Like, he's definitely... While a lot of these agents have been in, invented, he is definitely in Seat of Destruction. Okay. Uh, but I feel like he's presented as the FBI director in the hey. film. I could not tell you for the life of me what this man does other than go on TV and lie about things that people have seen with their own eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, we've already talked about Jeffrey Tambor in in this podcast world before. If you're a new listener, you can go back weirdly and check out our Muppet arc, because that's oh, where yeah. we discuss the problems with Jeffrey Tambor. Jeffrey yeah. Tambor's not the greatest human. Yeah, Jeffrey Tambor actually high-key sucks, turns out. So Yep, just a bummer, because I quite like him as an actor. Yeah, uh, I like it when yeah. he does the funny thing. It really sucks that he's a trash person. Uh, and then... During that kind of little bit, Agent John Myers, Johnny, Johnny John Guantanamo, goes sure. and talks Liz into like coming back for a visit, and then they go out and get coffee. John Tonimo. John, uh, John Tonimo. I, why did it take so long to get there? Uh, yeah, this <laughs> coffee date is... Yeah, look, in your notes, you put Hellboy stalks them. Correct. We were doing this thing... Like, this is a thing that has been happening since probably the beginning of film, but we were still really heavily doing the good boy, the boy we're supposed to like, he stalks them, and that's an okay thing, because he loves them. Yeah, man, the amount of media, especially I would say in like the 80s through early 2000s, mm -hmm. that portrayed just stalker behavior as like yeah. an endearing trait that proves how much you love someone is no. discomforting. It's not good, and we wonder why we have problems with It's men. real bad. We, like, it was definitely sold as, like, a, he loves her so much, he just uh, can't let her, let her, uh, uh, It colors the way he's, every other word that he says to this woman in this movie is colored by the fact that he just, like, low-key stalking her. It's... Right. It's not great. Which is why this whole love story arc sucks. Instead of being like a cool and helpful older brother, he's a creepy stalker. Look, we, there, we could have gotten, we could have found a way that still would have sucked, but would have been a little easier to digest if he was at the BPRD place and they were on their coffee date or whatever. Sure, they yeah, had, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, an escort tailing them to keep an or, eye on oh, them. Yeah, and so he, he wanders past Liz's room and Myers footage. is in there talking to him and he misinterprets yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Something that, you know, doesn't, that he's not like going out of his way to tail this woman right. through the streets. Um, With binoculars. Oh, it's, yeah, you should you should have comical binoculars just the whole time, just like <laughs> like rumbling about the way she takes her coffee to prove how well he knows her. Right? It's fucking we. It's 
it's real toxic ex shit. And like, he is a toxic ex. So like he's yeah. playing that part. Right. But I feel like yep. they want us to like him in this moment. And I, I don't do, but it does like the Weird. beat of the story is that because of this, like the bureau is effectively unguarded Cronin, as we know, has snuck in and he's now going to use this time to, to kill broom. So we do get the idea of like, there are bad reactions for your poor decisions, but it's not like there are bad emotional reactions or bad, you know, like bad things happen to you or to Liz or whatever that like the consequences feel like it feels like we're learning the wrong lesson here. It's very the problem Catholic, isn't though. that you it were is. preying on a woman. The problem right. is that your dad's going to get killed. It is very Catholic, though. Like you look. Oh yeah. You you neg- you didn't you didn't do the thing that you were supposed to do, and therefore your dad has right. to die. <laughs> you did a sin. Here is a punishment. Yeah, you did a sin. Fuck your dad. <laughs> and it is because like Cronin's here, right? So job done. But this is your point earlier where you were at. Again, this movie works very well for me. I quite enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But this is where you're like, why did Cronin even need to sneak in? Because. Rasputin just waltzes in. Cronin yeah. wakes up and then Rasputin's just like, hey, boys. Rasputin's just there. And we don't know how. Can Rasputin teleport? Maybe. We don't know what's up with Rasputin. He just <laughs> seems to be places and then not be places. Yep. But I feel like if he could just like expressly teleport, maybe he would have done that whenever he was in danger later in the film. Right. You know? And if he can do that, why did he need to send uh, Cronin in? Why did he need to do any of that? Why can't he just, like, conk Hellboy out in the back of the head and then teleport him to fucking Russia or wherever they end up? (laughs) (laughs) And then shove his fucking hand in a thing. Why can't we do that? It does give us the, like, Rasputin's going to show Broom that Hellboy's going to destroy the world that's been prophesied, whatever, etc. He gives him that vision, and then he's like, listen, I respect you, so I'll kill you quick. Except for I'm not going to do it. Cronin's going to do it, I guess. Apparently. All fine. It's all fine. But it does still feel largely like plot dressing to get us to the third act. I feel like I'm supposed to care that, like, the old man died. I'm like, clearly the movie wants me to care, but I don't. Why don't I care, Mark? (laughs) Yeah. Well, the movie just won. We don't get a lot of time with this character, even though it's John Hurt, who's incredible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's a film and because we're killing him at the halfway point and there's other characters that we're servicing, we just don't get the story we want from him. Uh, Mm -hmm. And also, the movie told us at the beginning of the movie, he's going to die. Right. Uh, And unless you are, what was the name of that movie? I want to eat your pancreas. I was getting ready to bring that up, Mark. It's a yeah. real hard trick. It, That's a movie that you it, uh, you shared with me. Yeah, it it did. look. I guess mild spoilers for I want to ink your pancreas, <laughs> but it does that thing that we just complained about it doing, like hurting this movie. It does that thing, but it makes it it elevates that movie it like somehow they still get you is the way that i i put it when i was selling it to mark i'm like they're gonna tell you early on that something's gonna happen and you're gonna be like okay well i know the thing's gonna happen so i don't care like it's obviously not gonna and then the thing happens anyway just not in the way that you thought it was going to happen and then you're like and yeah and, and it turns out it will make you cry (laughs) <laughs> whereas this, this movie, movie does, does not, it it does not have that deafness yep uh what it does mean though is that uh jeffrey Tambor's in charge now like yeah. officially i think he was technically in charge anyway i'm unclear but he's officially officially in charge now uh, yes 
they have a Stop little bit there. of like secret clues that were very intentionally left by Rasputin to mm-hmm. lead them to like Rasputin's mausoleum. I think is where we're going. Sure. Why not? Very yeah, very on brand Hellboy, just like goofy ass nonsense, and I love it. The guy's never gonna go, and 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 Hellboy's gonna wake up a skeleton. Yeah, I like this. It's Actually, very fun. Loki, I like this part of the movie where he's just hanging out with the skeleton guy. Yep. Yep. I, it feels very comic booky. It feels very Hellboy. You can feel, is- I think, Guillermo del Toro's like sense like he has this weird sense of wonder among his body horror stuff that really vibes here yeah like this movie is constantly veering into camp and it doesn't always work but here it really works for me (laughs) (laughs) i think it's the the fact that the russian guy the skeleton the the jack skellington man that he exhumes and brings back to life temporarily question mark Right, right um He's just wants no fucking part of this. That's why it gets me. <laughs> it's, it's the whole time, bad. he's just like, I fucking hate this. Why, put me back in my this grave. Re- <laughs> His last line is, I should have just stayed dead. Basically. I should have stayed dead. It's like suddenly there's a grumpy old man, like Walter <laughs> Matthau ass skeleton, just like yeah. riding around on Hellboy's back for like 15 minutes of this movie. And you're like, sweet, this is great, actually. Why don't we have more of this? I don't understand why the skeleton is coughing. Surely there's no, like, flesh on his lungs left, but whatever. It's fun. Right. Does he have lungs? We don't know. He can make... He's speaking, so clearly, right. like, air's moving, moving around there somehow. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> uh, there's a there's a very comical, uh, we'll be fine if we don't separate scene, where, where they're then immediately separated by, like, a trap within the mausoleum. Splits our team up for a little bit, and Hellboy is with Jeffrey Tambor Manning (laughs) for a bit. Uh, They sort of find Cronin's, I don't know, like his lair, however you want to say it, they find his spot within the mausoleum. And Hellboy just like drops a Princess Bride reference on him. Sure does. There's this. (laughs) I did not catch somehow the first time I saw this movie. Oh, fascinating. I know. It just went right over my head. There's this like cool shit going on like in the background of wherever the fuck they are after they get separated where you're like, oh, it's like this whole like clockwork city thing that's happening in the background. It's cool for like two seconds and then we never see anything like that again there. And I'm like, I want more of that. Yeah. And then I remembered, oh yeah, they once again do that thing way better in the sequel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you want weird ass clockworks? Don't worry, it's coming. It, we'll get there. <laughs> the the fight with Cronin is fun. It's fun. Yeah, it's all right. I it's, it feels like it goes by relatively quickly question yeah i don't know what jeffrey tambor um throwing pieces of metal at him is doing exactly i don't know i feel like i would just walk over there if i was cronin and yeah i would just stab him it is shocking that jeffrey tambor is alive at the end of this scene there's no justification for it it gives me big like Remember when we remember all them eons ago when we started this podcast and we covered Turtles 2 and I'm like, just cut out of the fucking net. And I'm yep, just, yep, yep. <laughs> it gave me that. I was just like, just go stab him. Just, just he's right there. There's he poses no physical threat to you whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> they end up throwing him onto some spikes, which is, you know, yeah. not fun, I guess, but like 
cinematically satisfying, although maybe not the best shot in the film, but it's like, it's how are you going to kill an unkillable guy? Impale him on spikes, I guess. Yeah, it would be, it could be cooler, I think is my big problem with it. It's like you just yeah. you could shoot it different and make it work more. Like yeah, watching there's- it, Watching him impaled, and then like we could like fix it the camera to where we can see the sand like draining out of him as he's stuck there, and then he gets crushed by the gear. But like we just imply that some of that stuff happens, we don't get to see any of it. Yeah, it's uh, and again, we've said this several times a lot of what they do good in this movie, they will do great in the next movie, so right? It's a little bit maybe smaller, I think, than I wanted Cronin's death to be. Yeah, it it doesn't feel like a big deal, and he's the scariest dude in this movie. Right. Yeah, he's, and that's weird. that's maybe because then we're going to go have a showdown with Rasputin. Oh, there's a fight with Samuel in, in the middle there. Uh, there's, there's just so many eggs, just walls of eggs. It somehow feels like nothing really happens in this movie, and so many things just that are extraneous to the overall plot happen in this movie. I, <laughs> I was don't... just thinking, like, how are we this close to the end of this movie? I feel like we've done a, a fair amount of, like, digging in and filler chat, and we're still very near the end of the movie, and there's not a lot left to talk about. There's not I a guess lot it is a very here? action-driven movie, so we do lose, like... There are big chunks of film where it's just like, fight, 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 you know? Am I wrong on that? Does it feel like we sort of got here quickly? It's weird because it feels like nothing about the Samuel stuff matters. This whole movie is just like, why don't I care more? Why do the Samuels exist? Why do we need them actually for this plot? This plot could be entirely the same if it was just an like they went to get the door that opens the end of the right, world or right. whatever from the museum because that is what's shit, going right? on here is it's been whatever 60 years like the, the actual plot arc here is rasputin is restaging the event right. uh, using hellboy to break through yeah Samuels the the sammies as i like to call them are they just <laughs> they they're just like the cgi army that the bad guy has to send out to do his dirty work in this movie like it's just a, it's just a, a stopgap it doesn't feel intentional and i don't know i don't love it it doesn't really work for me somebody's really loves this movie and is listening to this episode and is like <laughs> fuming well, is, I, I quite like we'll get to it in the ranking but this movie is like a solid b plus for me i, I quite like this movie we'll, we'll get we'll get to there we got to get through all the sure. samuels because liz there. is gonna like deal with the nest of eggs by lighting them all on fire it's it's like right. the one moment we get to see liz like really doing cool stuff like she's she got a bit of power but even there in order to turn it on she literally right. needs a man to slap her face hey if if i wasn't if i wasn't just like this trope that feeds into toxic masculinity before now uh could you hit me <laughs> i'm literally right. asking for it uh, it's <laughs> it sucks mark it sucks yeah right? it sure does it's like i know this particular plot beat happened in a lot of movies in hollywood but the woman literally turned to a man and said like ah i'm out of control please hit me so i can get in control now it's the opposite hit me so i go out of control Uh, right right it's it's very weird she she has no arc in this movie mark she has no no zero arc uh she burns up some eggs yeah and then after that the one that one one minute they let her be cool and like all right Lay down, time for a man to suck your soul out through your mouth. Yeah, it's real weird. It's so real that your weird. life can be dangled as the chit for Hellboy again. Which again, like, some of this stuff is consistent with 
the seat of destruction like story arcs it's just because of the shape of the character of liz and her relationship to hellboy works way 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 better in the books than Mm -hmm. this rewrite here does on screen (laughs) yeah for sure so yeah rasputin sucks liz's soul out and he's like listen i need these seven ancient powers the ogdru jihad sure so i have like trapped you hellboy in what are those what's that thing called stocks yeah it's like a stock it's like a stockade right and i've like carved your true name around it so that you can't break free mm-hmm. so either you like summon the ancient gods the Ogdru jihad or i will kill this uh so yeah that's what he's doing here like he's the, the harbinger of the apocalypse or whatever he's gonna welcome the ancient gods to the world and etc okay sure they're like elder gods right that's what these like seven gods of chaos are yes the, yes the Ogdru jihad. they're very and a lot of a lot of this stuff is very comic booky they're very lovecraftian in nature right. and a lot of like the the elder gods and demons and whatever in in hellboy the comics are sort of a weird mishmash of like christian and specifically kind of catholic theology and and uh throw in as we said a dash of judaism and then just like weird lovecraftian nonsense like just slap together some names that sound vaguely like you're appropriating egyptian culture and we'll call it a day right that's, that's how it feels when right here is like his name is unknown rama i'm like this is I, this feels like apocalypse vibes right it feels like <laughs> feels like what the x-men what did with apocalypse right yep yep <laughs> okay so yeah he's he starts summoning the elder demons or whatever sure the gods of chaos yeah, but day is saved days. by uh john tonimo who wakes up just in time to right? like fish professor broom's rosary out of his pocket and chuck it to hellboy yeah i guess he kills the supposedly or not kills but knocks out the supposedly undying chick with uh like a, a kick just yep. gives her a real good kick just gives her a kick and that's enough to shut her down she has survived like 60 years of like n- supernatural nazi whatever nonsense sure Turns how does he, he get his hand out how did he get his hand out of the ding dang shackle mark it just seems like he can suddenly do it that's what gets me is that like some somehow john tonimo's wrist shrank three sizes over the course of getting hit in the face with something <laughs> right <laughs> i i don't understand the consistency there movie but yeah he throws the what's the ding ding thing the the rosary that has like rosary, a cross yeah. on it a crucifix is on it yep. um yeah those are on rosaries sure i'm not catholic <laughs> he threw that at hellboy and hellboy what gets a cross burned into his hand and he's like oh no you're right both daddy and jesus are ashamed of me <laughs> Yep, he just like snaps off his horns, which his horns had regrown uh, as yeah. part of his like awakening to his like true nature or whatever. He quickly beats Rasputin, but then Rasputin's like, ah, 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 turns out I've got an ancient god inside of me. One last boss fight. It's very video gamey, right? You thought yeah. you beat the boss, but the boss has a final form. Yep, of course. Can't be that easy. <laughs> He does. It is kind of like the the. He, I said he quickly dispatches Rasputin. He does like stab him in the guts with one of his own horns. It is. It's pretty cool. That is nice. I don't know. The end of this movie feels so slapdash to me. It's weird, right? Like <laughs> it seems like maybe killing Rasputin would have been fine. Like we could have just ended. I don't know why we needed the weird final form, which is just like a giant 
Lovecraftian octopusy Cthulhu kind of thing. It's I don't know. It's weird. He, he, and they they kill him with grenades too. Is the thing. It's not even a fun set piece. He hits Hellboy a couple times, and then Hellboy gets eaten with a handful of grenades on a belt. And this it's almost like comic-y. It's it's uh it's like a weird Three Stooges bit. I'm okay with the, the thing ate grenades and exploded or whatever. I think that those are fun. I like seeing monster guns go everywhere. This whole it just doesn't have any weight to it whatsoever. Like the CG in particular, yeah. But just yeah, in general, yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. have any like thematic weight to it either. It's just, it's here to have one more thing that he can fight. I also don't understand how durable Hellboy is because yeah, he like can't be burned or whatever. But that's the fire is not what kills you in the grenade. It's all the shrapnel and the the force. It's like the sure. <laughs> so like wh- what why is he just why did he just like point blank take all those fucking grenades and just he's fine he just walks it off but he yeah, can get cut shakes it but, off but knives hurt him <laughs> he can t- he can get cut in it by just a regular <laughs> knife I don't understand uh, and then he's he then he brings Liz back to life by being like yo I'm a fight you God I guess yeah. <laughs> is that what happens there god and or the devil i'm gonna punch whoever you is on the other side lady. of the veil yeah sure <laughs> that's definitely what he does he just whispers through her ear into the other side yeah because that's how you do it you, that's how it works <laughs> <sighs> and he's like I'm back listen i already dealt with coffee boy i need you to back off this is my chick what are the, what's the theological ramifications of him whispering into her ear to communicate with the other side? Are, are we all just like like spy drones for like the devil and God? Is that what our our human flesh meats are? Is that what's happening here? Is Even when our spirit leaves, our body is just like this functional bit of machinery. Right? It's very weird. <laughs> But the, the movie ends with the two people without chemistry make out while on fire. It, it plays very much to me as a like, and then they kiss moment. Like, like some then, like, some narrator is just like grabbing the back of their their skulls yeah. and shoving their faces together. And that narrator is Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's weird. It's it has very big, and then the whole bus clap energy. It's I don't know. I don't love it. We made it through. There's no ranking here, but we can talk about it a bit. I mentioned earlier, it's a it's a B plus for me, largely I think on the strength of Ron Perlman and Doug Jones's performances. Those characters are just and John Hurt. Those characters are yeah. very, very good and compelling. And it was doing. My brain still recalls the space of like early superhero movies like we're starting to figure them out and and it was telling a different sort of story and the bprd is so weird and fun and it gets enough of the details right that i really enjoy it even though when i watched it because what we do with this podcast is we try to watch it with something of a critical eye right insofar as i like have any movie criticism within me and it's it the story definitely does not hold up it just and and it's a shame because see uh a seed of destruction is a very very good like that's one of the few hellboy stories i have read start to finish and it's really good and you can see like the shape of a very interesting story here just it does it just doesn't quite land i guess I, and i was surprised by that on rewatch yeah i i really thought i was gonna enjoy it more than i did on my rewatch i have a fond place in my heart for these movies and 
I'm just fundamentally a different person than I was in 2004, 2005. That's fair. Yep. And it just doesn't quite like. I also think we've been hold together. We've we've we're now on the other side of that, right? Like, so when when mm-hmm. this came out, it was like, oh. Like, this is one of the early superhero movies that isn't afraid of its own weirdness. Like, the X-Men was always yeah. trying to apologize for itself. Right, uh, right. And Hellboy didn't. It was just like, we're super weird. And so, at the time, it felt like such a breakthrough for superhero storytelling. And I think now we're so far down the other side of that issue that some things in Hellboy feel a little retrograde. Yeah, it's Orbit Radio. But it <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it has one foot in the Brian Singer X-Men movies of the early 2000s and one foot in the like umbrella Academy is like, that's, right. yep. it exists at the cross section of those two things in my brain. Um, that's like the tone that is happening here and that's getting in the way of itself just a bit too much. Yeah. Yep. I agree. It's, it's got, and again, it felt so breakthrough at the time, Yeah, but in retrospect, yeah, it's got a lot of good things going for it. I still really enjoyed it, but it definitely feels more like a product of its time than I expected it to. I went in expecting a like C or a B movie and I got like a D or a C movie out of it. That's fair. Sure. And I didn't like, I didn't dislike it. Like it passed, but like you, you technically passed, but like you were on a knife's edge, bud. And that's how I feel about this movie is like it. That's fair. That's fair. Yep. If you could give us like a 15 minute highlight reel as like a primer for Hellboy 2, that'd probably be enough for me. Yeah, I, if you put, yeah, there was just like a, what you missed last time, or like like right. at the beginning of Hellboy 2, if there was a recap of just everything that happened in this first movie, I think we get a little bit of flashback stuff in the opening credits, mm-hmm. if I'm remembering correctly, but um, yeah, if we just got a run down there, I'd be, I'd be fine with skipping this all together, <laughs> to be completely yep. honest. Just give us the handful of scenes where we're going to see Hellboy and Abe being bros, that's all we need. Mm-hmm. For sure. When they're calling each other red and blue, ah, love it. We get some of that in the second movie, right? There's this whole, like, like, yeah, I'm so excited for the second movie because you're saying that. And like, <laughs> I, my brain is remembering things that happen in this next movie. Yeah, I'm very excited yeah. to get to it. Anyway, uh, on, on that note, what are we watching next? Well, next up is Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. The third one sucks is a retrograde orbit radio production. If you like the show, the best thing you can do is tell your friends and make sure to rate and review it on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps us out. If you want to get in touch or share suggestions about what we could cover in the future, you can contact us on Twitter at the third one sucks or email us at the third one sucks at gmail.com. As always, thanks for listening and we'll see you again in the sequel. Also not sure it passes the Bechtel test. No, I think about it. Yeah. Do is there more than one woman in this movie? Period. Like uh, there's Liz and Hopstein. Oh yeah, that's true. I, the, the Nazi doesn't count. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Women do be. Hey, you remember that Reliant K song Mood Rings? <laughs> I do. Oh, no. I didn't has, want to. It's that energy, Mark. It's. It <laughs> It's the yeah uh, yeah somebody unfortunately mentioned that fucking song to me like a week or two ago and I was like no why would you implant these memories back into my brain. <laughs>